You're listening to The Upland Rookie, a podcast presented by Upland Brits. What's up, rookies, and welcome to episode nine of the Upland Rookie Podcast. I'm your host, Will Larson, and as always, this is presented by Upland Brits. You've heard me say it before, the same approach means the same results. That's why Yukonuba imagined a new kind of canine nutrition over 50 years ago, and why they continue to now. The new premium performance lineup harnesses the power of nutritional science to create formulas that hold nothing back. Check them out and learn a whole lot more at yukanubasportingdog.com. All right, here we go. Fair warning. We have a lot to get through in this opening segment. Um, I got a list in front of me. I'm going to try to tackle it all and not make this too long, but I think it is important um, and valuable. So stay tuned. Listen up to all I have to share. But first, I do want to go over the Dakota 283 giveaway details. I shared it at the end of last week's episode, episode eight. So go back to the end of that episode. Listen for all the details there. I'm not going to go over everything again but um, on the Instagram post there is over 200 people who are entered in the basic entry level meaning they have one entry into this Dakota 283 giveaway so one in about 200 chance uh, everyone on that that post who entered has a chance to win that uh, G3 medium kennel with Dakota guard plus the dine and dash or the dash system pretty awesome but if you want to um, uh, get up to 12 bonus entries. Um, there's a couple different ways you can do that. One's by sharing a video of how you got started upland hunting. Um, make sure to use hashtag the upland rookie podcast and tag the upland rookie podcast on an Instagram post. That'll get you five extra bonus entries. The other way is to write a story. It can be a short, long story and just email it to me, uh, uplandbrits at gmail.com. Um, this story is about how you got started upland hunting. I really thought it'd be fun to capture and just read over uh, some of your stories, uh, some of your stories and, and key moments of how did you get started upland hunting? How did you uh, get into bird dogs? Like what what was it for you that kind of turned that that switch in your head to say, hey, this is what I want to do. This is what, where I want to uh, spend time and money and invest uh, moving forward. So I, I personally want, uh, am really looking forward to reading some of these stories. So email that story to me. I will pick out a few of the best and read those on the air. Um, Again, email me a story, write it up, take your time. The giveaway um, doesn't end until end of July. So you have time to sit down, craft your story. Um, I think there's power in everyone's story. There's power in your story, my story, uh, the guy next door to me, whoever it might be. There is power that can uh, bring people together, be relatable, and uh, encourage and inspire others to, um, to get into 
into this amazing uh, thing that we call upland hunting. So the last way you can get a bonus entry is to leave an Apple podcast review, um, a rating and review. And what I mean by that is a review is a written review of the podcast. I'm not telling you you need to give me five stars and say how great this is. I'm not forcing you to do that. This is just leave a review, <laughs> click the star uh, rating, and write a personal message, please. Um, write what you like, don't like, whatever it might be. Um, the review system is how Apple Podcasts and their algorithm works to push the podcast higher in, in the feed. When someone goes on and searches hunting podcast, um, I'm hoping the Upland Rookie podcast will show up quicker, show up higher in the list when someone is searching this. So um, reviews are really important. Reviews are going to get you two extra bonus entries um, on Apple Podcasts. And I don't think I mentioned, but if you do the story, uh, email me a story, that is going to be um, five extra. So so the first two things are going to get you five extra uh, entries each, and then the Apple Podcast one will get you two extra entries. Um, so please uh, go ahead and do that. Screenshot the uh, your Apple Podcast review to me. That's how I know you did it, and I will mark you down for two extra entries. So guys, have fun with this. This has been a blast. Thank you again to Dakota283 uh, for allowing me to give this kennel and Dine and Dash away. Uh, great kennels, can't say enough about them. Sturdy, easy to clean, great door system, locking system, uh, you name it. it. It's a really high quality kennel valued at over $500. Um, no purchase necessary, guys. This is, I'm not asking you to give me money, donate money to me. This is a straight giveaway. Put your name in the hat. You don't have to do anything um, except if you want to get bonus entries. Do those uh, items I just listed and you will be uh, up your chances to get in this giveaway. So it's really, really exciting. Again, it'll close July, I think 30th or 31st, um, one of those days. But So you have some time, but get those stories in. I would love to start reading some of these on the air. Okay. We are going to go through the rest of my list. <laughs> giveaway is done. Um, a couple of things. Okay. I'm actually going to divert from doing a listener question again, uh, two weeks in a row. I'm sorry. I will get back to it, but, um, I had a lot of, and, and apologize. Gage is freaking out on the side of the house, but <laughs> I had a lot of positive feedback from last week's opening segment when I was just talking about the importance and, um, just the mindset around us setting goals for our dogs and what we're all working on this summer uh, with them to get them ready for hunting season. September is only about 80 so days away, and that's going to creep up on us really, really quickly. And time's going to get away from us if we're not careful and we don't plan out, like literally right out, like what do you want to work on with your dog this season? I had so many people uh, message me this week just sharing uh, they're working on steadiness or force fetching or conditioning. Um, it's really, really encouraged um, that you all are doing this uh, to some degree already. Um, maybe it was from the podcast, podcast, maybe it wasn't, I don't really care. But this is just um, to help us all get ready for uh, September because it's coming very, very quick. So uh, I just want to share a little bit what I did this weekend. Hopefully this will continue the trend of getting us uh, in the mindset to keep moving forward, keep working with our dogs daily, uh, if possible, weekly, you know, if, if we, if your time doesn't allow to do intense work with your dog daily, which I think it should be, <laughs> you should make the time. Um, but anyways, I, uh, 
Gage is not a water dog. I took him swimming a bunch this weekend. Um, now I have for maybe two or so weeks gotten him back in the water. I really have not gotten him. He hasn't swam a bunch in his life. In his short three and a half years of life, um, he swam maybe two or three times. Didn't love it. It was just kind of a so-so experience. Um, but we, uh, who knew? Okay, we have this. I mean, we knew, but we have this amazing state park, uh, really, really close to our house. We never had a pass to it. We went there once in a while. We'd pay a day fee, but um, my wife and I we got a yearly pass for the state parks, and which is amazing. Colorado has some beautiful, beautiful state parks that they manage. So, anyways, this state park has a has a dog area with a pond and all sorts of stuff. And so I was like, you know, I'll just, I'll take Gage over there, let him swim a little bit. It took me some time. It took me about two or three times going to get him just comfortable going into the water, fetching bumpers. Um, by time two or three, he was, he's pretty excited um, to go back in the water, get in there. And with how hot it has been, it's been upper nineties, mid to upper nineties, um, this past week and a half. Um, it's been great to get out early in the morning, um, get some bumpers out to him and, and get his, get him burning some energy, burning some calories, um, getting him conditioned. So, um, that's really what I did this weekend. I actually went Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Um, I actually met a buddy through Instagram who we were messaging, Saturday night and he was um, training dogs at the state park as well. They have a, a training uh, ground uh, as well. It's separate from the dog park, which is pretty cool. Um, so after Gage swam for a while, he did about 20, I think I did 20 retrieves, um, various distance. And um, so he was he was doing really well with it, really impressed. But um, after that, we we met up with this new new friend. Um, really fun. I love this Upland community, guys. I love connecting with people who I never would have met before, connected with. But uh, me and this guy, we, we were talking the night before. We knew we were going to be there. And I almost went home, to be honest. Um, but then I you know, I was like, oh, I'll, I'll drive over. I saw I saw a couple trucks over in this training ground and headed over there. A couple other uh, of his friends and met them. And they were running some uh, some really cool uh, griffs, griffons, griffins. Maybe I'm saying that right. Maybe I'm not. Um, really cool dogs. Um, I think those are the first ones I've seen in person. Um, so they were doing some drills, some retrieving drills. They were working on some Navda stuff for their dogs. And uh, I joined right in and got Gage out of the truck and worked him for a little bit. Um, so all that to say, guys, um, it was probably about an hour, hour and a half, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, I went out real early. Family's still asleep. So it's doable, guys. If you have kids or wife, and you're you're trying to balance like that time. Just get up early, get your butt out of bed, and and work with your dog. It could be in the garage, in your yard, at a park, in an open space, wherever it might be. Uh, make that time for your dog. Get them ready. Get them conditioned. Work on completing and accomplishing your goals that you want to set for your dog. Maybe you want to work on steadiness. Well, then carve out some time to to find some training birds maybe or or go back to basics with uh, with steady work. Whatever it might be for you, uh, make that time for your dog this summer. Um, on a daily basis, great. On a weekly basis, whatever it might be for you and your schedule. But I think it is very, very valuable. So all that to say, guys... Um, what are you doing? What are you doing this week for your bird dog and yourself? What are you working on? What are you going to tune up? What are you going to fix? What are you, um, 
what are you going to do for your bird dog? Just take a moment, write those goals down. Uh, think about it. Let me know if you want. Share those with me. Share them on social media. Tag the Upland Rookie Podcast. But I think we all can uh, get better. Our dogs can get better if we put the time and effort in uh, to working with them. And lastly, before we jump in, I wanted to welcome on a new podcast sponsor, Cable Gangs, G-A-N-G-Z. Cable Gangs, check them out. Uh, Brennan over at Cable Gangs, uh, I've been talking with him for a couple weeks now and really excited to uh, to help educate you all on what is a cable gang, what is a chain gang. You might have heard this term, but there are some really good articles. There's an Outdoor Life article that I will link in the show notes. There's also a podcast episode by GDIY Podcast. Uh, Nick over there uh, put a podcast out actually pretty recently. Uh, it's titled Chains, Cords, and Pressure Oh My. Uh, it's with Mark and Martha of Webfoot Outdoors. Um, so Nick, just giving you a quick shout out. Well done on this episode. This actually came out a few weeks ago, and they really dive in and unpack hack um, what are the benefits of using a chain gang and guys there is so much a dog can learn from being on a, a stakeout a tie out whatever you want to call it um, they're constantly learning they're they're learning and cueing into those net cues and pressure that oh it, it's time to chill it's time to relax um, while maybe you're training another dog or maybe they're just waiting for their turn for something whatever it might be there is so much a dog can learn by being on a stakeout that you're not even doing. You don't even have to be there yanking them, pulling them, using collar pressure. The chain is doing that for the dog and they are learning and picking up so much from that experience. So look into those those things. Look into that Outdoor Life article I will put in the show notes and also check out that uh, episode from the GDIY podcast. Um, really good info that'll just be a lot more in depth than what I can share with you here. But all that to say, Cable Gangs, uh, if you order a Cable Gang system and just mention the Upland Rookie podcast, that's all you have to do. When you send an order in to Brennan, just say, hey, the Upland Rookie podcast or, hey, Will sent me over from the Upland Rookie podcast. He will give you a free um, blank pistol uh, tether uh, cord or your choice of a free, uh, I think it's a, a drop line, which is the line that goes from the dog to the long cord on the ground. Um, so your choice, you get one of those items for free. Um, just mention the Upland Rookie podcast when you order. Uh, Brennan's old school, which I love, just message him on Instagram or Facebook, Cable Gangs, G-A-N-G-Z. Um, you, you can talk with him, order directly. I think you can do custom sizes too. If you have one dog, two dog, three dog, five dog, whatever it might be, um, he will love to work with you. Uh, he's really a cool guy and just wanna, wants to work with your needs and what you have uh, for your dogs. So check them out, Cable Gangs, shoot them a message. You guys can work out the details of ordering. But again, mention the Upland Rookie Podcast for a free uh, tether line or a free drop line. Um, so that's all I got to say. We are going to jump in to episode nine with Greg Cronkite. So you've probably heard of Greg before if you've been around the Upland community. Greg is the, I guess, CEO, founder of Dakota 283, the kennels that I use and love. Um, so Greg and I, we do talk about the Dakota products. So that is actually in the beginning section. 
of the episode, which we just go over the products, what they are, how we got started, all that good stuff. But the meat of our conversation really gets into South Dakota and his farm that he manages there. Um, we talk prairie chickens, of course, the freaking prairie chickens. Gosh, I can't, I can't get away from talking about a damn prairie chicken on this show. Um, I have not ever harvested one, so they kind of have kicked my butt. But maybe this year I'll get up to Greg's farm and uh, and find a prairie chicken. But anyways, we, we talk a whole lot of pheasant hunting, South Dakota, farm, land management, his labs, and a whole bunch of stuff. So guys, I'm going to turn it over to Greg and my conversation or I's conversation. Sorry, terrible grammar. I know. Um, the last thing I was going to say is, uh, quality audio quality wasn't the best on this. I had to do a couple things at the last minute. Um, we didn't have great uh, internet connection. So anyways, uh, apologize for that, but it is very listenable, <laughs> doable, whatever you want to call it. Okay. Here's episode nine. I'm glad we found a little workaround. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So sorry for the hassle. No, not at all, Greg. That is totally fine. Um, so I guess just, I mean, you, you kind of already did put, put me on a map, but uh, put us on a map for anyone listening out there. Where, where is your home base that you call home? And uh, just tell us a little overview of, of who you are. Okay, sure. Um, what do they say? Your home is where you hang your hat, I guess. Sure. But at least that's how it feels like uh, the last <laughs> the last couple of years for me. But, um, you know, we we have a farm in South Dakota, Will, and it's uh, uh, in uh, central, central South Dakota, basically. Uh, I tell people we live in the middle of the middle of nowhere. You know, know, South Dakota is not a really heavily populated state to begin with. Um, And we live in the lowest populated county in South Dakota. Oh, wow. Uh, So, you know, nearest neighbors four four miles away. And uh, I I think the town is now up to 52. It was 50 before Jane and I got there. So uh, (laughs) So that's really small. (laughs) I just it's it's just one of those one of those really neat remote places and actually during this whole covid thing it was it, it was a really great place to have uh you know last year for sure so, oh absolutely uh, yeah so that's where we're cur- currently living and you know we're kind of in process of looking for that next place because i don't think my bride wants to to be in south dakota forever and ever uh <laughs> you know uh, as we move on. So she wants to get uh, a Starbucks once in a while. Yeah. And <laughs> okay. Some other stuff. <laughs> you know. I, don't, I don't blame her. It sounds very familiar uh-huh. to my wife. <laughs> mm-hmm. she, she's got to have, uh, we're in a pretty, pretty populated suburbia area. And, uh, I'll, I'll joke around once in a while and say, Hey, what about, uh, getting a place in, you know, Nebraska or South Dakota someday? And she's like, well, you can by yourself. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the answer. Yeah. But then you, you know, your answer. So yep. we're in, we're in Colorado. Are you Will? So, uh, I'm just South of Denver, about half an hour. We're down in uh, Highlands ranch. If you're familiar okay. at all. Uh, well, no, it's, it, that's one of the areas we're, we're looking at is we're looking at the North of Boulder area. Okay. Uh, you know, kind of maybe lions or, Oh sure. Um, so that's one of the five or six, finalists for the uh the next stop on the cronkite train here very so. cool no colorado's <laughs> a, a great place we've uh, like I, I mentioned earlier we've uh been out here about five years now from uh from chicago area and uh there's there's no plans of going back yeah 
No, it's it's beautiful out there, man. Oh yeah. It's, it, it really are you is. in the foothills? Or are you in the mountains? Or we're, where so, are you? No, we're not. Um, I mean, we're we're pretty darn close to the foothills. Um, and you know, to be up in Breckenridge is probably an hour and a half only. Um, so it's yeah. it's not super far. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, that's really that's, cool. We yeah. love it. We love it. Okay, but gotcha. um, yeah. but Greg, I was I was scrolling through. I mean, obviously your inst- you know Dakota two eighty three's Instagram, and and tell me about this recent uh, film that you guys put out. Well, I guess maybe not too recent, maybe a little while back. Um, it was a really really well done film that you guys did. Kind of uh, a little bit on the history of Dakota two eighty three. Talk touch a little bit on your farm. Sure. Um, talk a little sure. bit about. Uh, I guess kind of a twofold. One, the film. The film, it was just really well done. Um, but Thanks. also just get into uh, a little bit of uh, Dakota 283. Well, I mean, probably, you know, how much time do we have? As much time as you as much time as you want. I mean, you know, probably the thing to start with is, you know, where where my, you know, where my roots are in hunting. Um, and then, and then talk about how we got to Dakota and then yeah. get into the film side of it. Absolutely. But, you know, my, my, my roots in hunting were, were when I was a kid, I was, I was able to been, I was fortunate enough to have some family in Iowa, uh, back in the seventies, early seventies. And Iowa had a ton of, a ton of pheasants back then, uh, great hunting. Um, and you know, I was the, I was the kid that, that was with my uncles and my dad and, you know, I, we didn't have dogs. So I was kind of that, I was kind of the dog for, for them. You know, I'd be carrying birds. I'd be going to pick them up. I'd be chasing them. The only thing I didn't do was point, you know? So, (laughs) and, uh, so, so we, I started, I started in that whole Iowa thing and, and, and I just got very, very passionate about, um, about hunting at that point and really, you know, planted some seeds and, uh, fast forward, uh, to, you know, to, to my vocational life. Uh, I started a rotational molding company in 1998 in, in Erie, Pennsylvania, and made a lot of different really cool products for a lot of different kinds of companies. Mm. Um, and I was able to, uh, you know, fortunate enough to get into the, some military, uh, yeah, I've, I've heard about that. I was going to say, uh, you guys really products. started in some, some military equipment, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. We, we would, we would, they're called transport cases. And so we figured, we figured out and really honed our skills on how to, how to hold precious cargo, uh, for the military. And, and if you've ever been around military specifications, you know, it's, it's, it's a really rugged test of, (laughs) of whatever they do. Right. I Mm -hmm. mean, it's gotta, it's gotta withstand a lot of things. So, um, uh, you know, after a little while of doing that, uh, thousands of different, you know, products and sizes and shapes and different things that we did, I decided to, to come out with some proprietary products. Hmm. And frankly, we didn't start with the, uh, with the dog, uh, the, the dog product lines. We started with some other things sure. and, but eventually, uh, I said, you know, I'm going to make some things that, that I really am into. And I was still very passionate about upland game hunting and uh we launched a what's called the badlands vault and the badlands vault uh was a waterproof container that you put in the back of your truck you might have seen it on the website i did if you looked at the website and uh you you know and what we found out let's put a kennel on top of that too that would be kind of neat and what we found out is everybody 
was excited about the vault, but they were really fired up about the kennel. So I'm like, well, you know, I may be dumb, but I'm not stupid. Let's go after some kennel business. So, so we started building kennel designs, and and that's really how we we launched uh, Dakota 283. It was uh, uh, it was a labor of love, and it still is. I mean, it's I live I live the whole lifestyle every day. Sure. Um, and that's kind of what we tried to portray in that in that film that we did, the 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 Dakota story. Um, and you know, it's it's not just a product that we make it's a it's a lifestyle that mm. we actually that we actually live you know yeah, absolutely um so, and, so re- um, real quick you know. so with the kennel so again you started as a rotomold design company with the military in that um then you you got into the badlands vault was the kennel was it something you just wanted to try to make for fun or were was did you see some flaws in other other kennels or things that you just weren't happy with at the time and said hey i want right. to try to make make a better mousetrap here what was yeah was it just for fun yeah yeah great great question well i what we did was yeah absolutely we were very very um uh focused on making a better mousetrap uh because I think we've all had those, and I'll say the word pet mate. I think that's the major sure. brand out there with the injection molded two piece design yep. that um, flexes that you, bolt, that you bolt together, and yeah. it, and they usually stay together for about you know forty eight to seventy two hours, and then <laughs> the bolts start falling out as you're vibrating down the down the road, and you sure. end up with two two pieces of plastic that's not held together, right? right? So, um, not only were they not strong, but I really wanted to, to build a one-piece product uh, where people can, you know, you're going to get you're going to get a very, uh, uh, very rigid, a very rigid uh, container to hold your precious cargo, which is, which is your dog. So um, that's kind of where we went with it, and you know, yeah, we were very deliberate in the, the different things that we've done on the design side. Sure. Have you guys done, have you guys done a lot of, uh, I know, uh, you know, crash testing and, and safety ratings on things. Have you guys done a lot of testing of your own on the kennels? We've done a lot of internal testing. Um, and we're about within a month or two of, uh, broadcasting that out to everybody publicly. Sure. Um, we're, you know, one of the things that we've done a very poor job of is documenting and filming, some of the things that we do and and when we got together with our marketing uh guys uh, northwoods collective i mean we we really were able to uh bring that part of the the media and social media and mm. um content uh to the table hence the films that you're seeing now and some sure. of the photos that you're seeing so yeah, next on the list is to document all the crash testing that we've done. So yeah, within the next several months, you're going to be seeing a lot of that. We've already done the testing. Sure. Now it's just a matter of, of documenting it to everybody. Get, so. Yeah, getting it out there to everyone. That's that's awesome. No, I uh, mm-hmm. so I I mean you probably know I have I have two of the uh, G3 mediums uh, for both my Brits and and those things okay. are those things are heavy duty. <laughs> I mean those yeah those are not uh, not going anywhere. I wanted to ask you. I mean not to just talk about how good the kennels are and how much i enjoy them but how did you get the door to be so darn good it's it's probably my favorite feature just how smooth this door is the the locking yep. mechanism what kind of thought process went into the door specifically because that's it's really high quality well i will tell you that um 
uh, it didn't happen overnight. Uh, we started with a stainless steel um, tin door, okay. uh, which is you'll see on a lot of different kennels, like the old pin. You've got to compress the pins, and they oh, go into sure. holes. And uh, so we, that's how we started. And honestly, I hated I hated having to do it because it's almost a two handed operation to get the door open sure. and closed. And, and that's number one. And God forbid if one of those pins bends, um, and now you're trying to struggle to get the pins in the proper hole and, you know, is it going to stay together? And we had all sorts of, you know, issues just like every other pin door guy out there has. Sure. Uh, and I said, man, there's gotta be a better way than this. So, um, so then we, we came out with what we called the uh, FRM door and, and version one, which is our frame door. And version one was, was great, uh, but there was a couple things we wanted to tweak. Mm. Uh, you know, like when we started that door, we didn't have the back plate, the stainless steel back plate oh, to it. interesting. Okay. Um, so all those components of the, of the locking mechanism were open. And everybody was like, well, my dog, you know, can get to it. And shoot. Okay. All right. We've got to put a back plate on this. Yeah. So, and, and frankly, that, that door evolved over about five or six different iterations. Oh, wow. Uh, and it, and it continues to evolve. I, I mean, you know, that's one thing, Will, that we, we really try and focus on is let's take feedback from the field, uh, i.e. guys like you who are out there doing it and let's fix things that are broken. Let's make things better that if we can make them better, um, you know, and, and that's, that's how we do it. So we haven't stopped making that door better. It'll, you know, in five years, it's going to be even better than it is now. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's awesome. I, I love the constant, uh, tweaking and, and just innovation you guys are, are, are putting into that. Um, and then how did you come up with the, uh, so I have a, a dash 3.5 and, uh, I love that thing. I, I use that daily just for my, my watering for my dogs. And, uh, mm -hmm. how did that kind of product come about just the innovation? And I know you also have the dine and dash, which is the, the food and water combo. Um, was that right. just something you were missing when you were out hunting? Is that something you said, Hey, I really would need one of these. So let's make it. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, everything comes out of need. Um, you know, you know, think about, think about marketing. Marketing is you're either fulfilling a need or you're, you're, um, you're, you're, you're satisfying a fear hmm. or something like, you know, there's, there's a reason there has to be a reason for, sure. for people to want things. And, you know, I, I was out there with, um, just like most everybody with a gallon uh, milk jug that had really thin walls. And uh, we used to put that into a bowl and, you know, get everybody hydrated. It was great. And then, you know, it was great until the cap fell off or it got punctured because, you know, it hit something and <laughs> water's all over the back of your truck. Sure. And, and so, yeah, I mean, that was, that, that was, uh, the, the dine and dash product was our first one. You know, that that's great because you can put eight or nine cups of water or uh, food, dry food in there, seal it up. And then you could put two gallons of water around the outside of, of the cavitation for the, uh, for the food. So it keeps the food dry and contained and you still have the ability to have water. Now, one, one of the other issues with a lot of standard watering systems is you pour water into a container when the dog only drinks half of that water. Mm. Um, 
and you want to go from point A to point B, you kind of have to toss the water, right? Yeah. Well, with this, with the Dynan Dash and the Dash systems, you simply just tip it backwards, goes back in, and you save that water for the next time you want to hydrate your dogs. So, um, you know, that was that was a need that I that I saw because you you don't always have access to to water. I mean, you could be a long way away from good water for your dog. Absolutely. So, um, I'll tell you what I love about, did you had said you had the 5.0? The 3.5 or 3.0. Okay. And you have how many dogs? Just two. Okay. So I have two labs, right? Um, I, I take a 5.0 and I fill that thing to the brink on a Sunday uh-huh. and I just lay it out in their kennel. And I don't have to worry about water for almost a week. I, I'm right there uh, with you. With so with my two and the, the three point five, I'm doing the same thing. I'm filling it up about every Sunday, and it's 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 perfect. <laughs> Sometimes at night, yeah. I'll I'll pick it up. I'll stand it upright at night, um, mm-hmm. just so because my kennel's you know on the side of our house outside, so I just don't want critters or mice getting into it. Um, but I'll stand it up and and again save that water, and uh, mm-hmm. that, that gets me through a week with those two. So, well, that was the other. That was the other change we made from the, the dine and dash to the dash. And that came from the field. People were like, Hey, love it. Um, it would be really cool if we could stand this up. Mm. Okay. And we're like, Oh, all right. So when we got to the dash units, we were like, let's flatten one of the ends and be able to stand these things up in the oh, back. Interesting. Of so, so originally they or weren't, they weren't flat on the back originally. No, the dine and dash is still not flat. Oh, it's, it's I a didn't rounded that. Uh, okay. unit. Oh, yeah. so interesting. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's cool. Um, mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about the new, because this is pretty recent, uh, Dakota Guard. What is what is this, and, and what led you to, to uh, put this into your, your molding? Right, so so obviously we all have been through this, this whole virus thing over the last, you know, 12 to 14 months, and um, it frankly wasn't something that was even on my radar scope until last year. And we started talking about how do we protect. See, it's all about it's all, it's all about unparalleled pet protection, right? Mm. I mean, we we want to be the leading edge on protecting your pet. So you know, not only can we protect them from an impact pers- uh, issue, but we said, why don't we look at how do we get antibacterial uh, materials into the resin? Uh, and we started doing some research. We started doing some testing. We found some additives that we can put into the resin. And what's what's nice about that product is it's it's not a sprayed on product. It's actually blended into the resin before we make before we make the the, the kennel. So if you scratch it, it's still there so it's you know, it's embedded it it's embedded into off. the so, into the plastic. um and and yeah i mean it's it's just wow. uh it's just another way we can protect not only your pets but perhaps if there's any kind of a virus on the kennel itself it's not going to spread right so wow so is it so just explain that a little bit more is it uh killing bacteria on contact or how, how is that working exactly it it will not allow viruses to grow. Ah, okay. Right. That's that's the key, you know. So you, you, you it once a virus gets on there, um, it's it, if you know it's not going to be able to grow. If it doesn't grow, it's going to 
die, I would think, you know. Wow. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. That's so, very you know, cool. it's uh and is that in all your uh, products? Is that in the Dine and Dash, the Dash and the Kennels? We we have it available on any product that touches your pet. Wow. Okay. So so if it's now it doesn't come standard, it's an adder. Sure. Okay. Uh, there is cost associated with being able to make antimicrobial products. Um, and we've found that some people don't want to spend the money and that's okay. Sure. You know, uh, but we wanted to have it as an offering to those people who wanted it. So any of the kennels, any of the dash products, um, we've got a pet bath product that, that has it. Oh, I didn't know you Um, had a a bath. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. The the groom pro. And, um, so really anything that touches, that touches your pet. Very cool. Has it uh, has it been taken off pretty well since you since you lost or uh, launched the Dakota Garden? Yeah, we just we just launched it in April, um, and I would say uh, thirty to fifty percent of what we sell now is is uh, Dakota Garden. Oh, nice. Um, and so, yeah, I I consider that a that a, a really nice launch. Yeah, yep, that's awesome. And as the as the word gets out more. Um, you know, that'll, that'll probably grow, I would think. So. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. so while we're on Dakota 283, then I, w- I want to move on to a little bit more about your dogs and a little bit more of hunting as well. Um, yep. but one of the questions I get a lot, um, you know, I'll post a picture with my dogs and their kennels or, or whatnot, and I get inundated with questions on sizing constantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk right. about sizing a little bit. It, it just seems to be such a, um, it's on everyone's mind, you know, they're, they're making an investment into, uh, you know, kennels. Um, talk about the sizing levels and maybe some general generalities of, of size for, for what, right. what size dogs. Okay. Yeah. Cause you know, dogs, we try and, <laughs> we try and guide people based on weights. Okay. But you can't, you can have a really lean, thin dog. That's really super tall. That doesn't weigh as much as, say a, a labrador that's, that's a, a heavier that's labrador a right so but i'm going to give you some generalities here okay um i have two two labs they're both uh on the smaller side you know they're in their they're 60 pounds each or 65 pounds um they fit perfect in uh the mediums and oh, wow. so what i tell people is anything up from you know 40 to uh, 75 pounds. I would, I would think that you're, you're pretty good with a, with a medium. All right. And, and, and people, people, I don't know if they all realize this or not, but, um, you know, dogs really like tight spaces to sleep. They feel secure when they're in tighter spaces. And I'm not saying that they should be crunched in there. They should be able to stand up in the kennel and not have to hit their head. Okay. But, you know, you want to get a kennel that's maybe a little smaller than you think that you might need, mm-hmm. okay? Because they do like a tighter a tighter spot. Now, uh, you get up into uh, an 85 to 100-pound um, uh, Labrador or, or a bigger dog or a taller dog, then you want to go to a large, all right? Um, and then the extra large, obviously, is for your for your much bigger, yeah, much, much bigger <laughs> that's got that's got to be fitting or, like a great day or, or something. There's, there's some people who get an extra large and they put their two dogs in the extra large. Oh, okay, sure. To to go from point A to point B, so they only need to have 
you know, one kennel for them. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's, that's a good, uh, well put. I, I couldn't agree more, Uh, especially with puppies too. I mean, um, you know, when puppies are are small, I mean, you don't want them to have a a massive, massive crate that, you know, they're going to sleep in one corner and then go mess in another corner. Um, and I know you guys have, uh, this insert as well, right? Where you can kind of oh, divide yeah. the crate in half. Yeah, which, yeah, yeah, exactly. That well, looks you're, really you're, cool. You're, you're, you're throwing me a softball here. Oh, yeah. Man, so. <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, just, I, I, what I used to do is I, I took a, a cardboard box, you know, kind of fit it to the kennel and kind of made my own, you know, a while back. And then I, I saw this this insert you have that goes in the kennels. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is exactly what I was looking for. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, we call it the forever insert. Okay. And we started with the medium. And what it is is basically a wall that you put inside the kennel that locks in to our different ventilation holes. And as the puppy grows, you just move the wall back towards the back of the kennel. You give the puppy more space as it gets bigger. And then eventually you take the insert out completely and and your your adult dog is now in the same crate that it, that it used as a puppy. Yeah. And it's really a beautiful transition um and we call it the forever insert because you you could buy the 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 dog's forever kennel Mm -hmm. right the right from day one versus getting a smaller kennel and moving it to a bigger kennel and you know so on and so forth it's you can start right away with with the kennel that you want your dog to have you know from the beginning yeah that's that's brilliant yeah because the problem with my my cardboard box idea what i used to do is puppy would get a little over anxious and uh, start destroying that that cardboard box oh for sure so it yeah was, it was a bit of a mess sure. but well very cool yeah. greg yeah, um, yeah. And i just one other thing uh it's done so well in the medium that within the next couple of months we're going to have inserts available for the large and the extra large oh okay very cool yeah so oh. that's coming out this year well that's awesome so, well, i will have to pick yeah. one of those up when i uh when i get my third dog so for sure that's a great yeah, idea definitely well, that's awesome well so you mentioned uh you have two labs tell me a little bit about your labs and also what what made you you choose the lab i know you you're in yep. south dakota so i'm imagining you're doing quite a bit of pheasant hunting is that true yeah we're doing a lot of pheasant hunting and and honestly that's kind of where i got the uh you know in the in the plains you, you know, most of the pheasant hunting that, that we're doing at, that I've ever done with dogs has been with flushing dogs versus with pointing dogs. Um, my, my farm for, and I know it can be done with, with a lot of different breeds for sure. It's not, that's not the issue. Um, my, um, my experience has been, especially on my farm is you know, we, we have so many birds that and it, and they get really super wild at the end of the the winter or at the end of the season. That if you start flushing birds too far away, they all get up. Mm. You know, I mean, one bird gets up, ten will get up, right? So we try and keep our dogs um, quartering fairly tight. And I'm not talking five yards. I'm talking you know twenty to thirty yards. I want my I want my dogs quartering and looking for for birds so if something does get up you know we've got a legitimate chance of of having a shot at the bird right um and with with my labradors um and most labs you could tell when they are birdie Mm. so they're not necessarily going to be um 
they're not necessarily going to be pointing uh, or they're not necessarily going to stop. Uh, but my, my dogs sometimes do. They do a, kind of a freeze stalk. Okay. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a weird thing. And every dog's a little different. But, um, you, you know, I, I mean, you could tell when the birds, when they're, they're really oh, yeah. birdy. It's yeah. kind of fun even, to watch. Even, even so, my Britneys, you can tell when, they, when they're on a bird and they're getting close. I mean, yeah. someone yells birdie and you better get ready. Yeah. Now, now that said, okay, um, you know, we sponsor NAVDA and I've had the pleasure of going to a bunch of trials and stuff and, and, and watching some of these, uh, versatile breeds work. Yeah. And I'm really intrigued by that. So I don't know, man, I might, uh, I've got a 10 year old lab right now and I don't know okay. if I'm going to replace him with, with a lab or not. I okay. Might, I, w- I, I might actually replace him yeah. with a versatile breed. I was going to ask I, you I, if I'm there's not any, sure. any other plans maybe to, maybe to switch it up in the future. Well, yeah. I mean, cause you know, I'm doing a lot more hunting besides pheasants now, you know, sure. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm really getting adventurous in my old age, Will. <laughs> Good for you. That's great. Yeah, last year, I uh, I was able to score on uh, on my sage grouse, so I you know got checked that off oh, the list. Very and, cool. Congrats. Uh, yeah. That was, oh, that that hunt was was really cool. And in one hunt, and when I say one hunt, it was over a thirty day period. Uh, I got my sage grouse. I got blue grouse up in the mountains. I got my first Hungarian partridge, our Hans. No way. Um, yeah, and it was it was really fun. I mean, it really opened my eyes to to going after different upland game birds. Um, and I have yet to score on my first uh, king of the upland uh, uh, oh, birds. Oh, rough you know, grouse. My 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 uh, rough grouse. Okay. So. So that's on my list for this fall. I've got a score on a on a on a rough grouse. I want to get that. I want to get that done. When I say get it done, I'm going to do it over and over again. It's not like oh I'm sure, check but it off but you want not, to kind of get that first leave. one. Yeah, and I mean not, not ever go back. But um, I'm really excited to to go after some rough grouse. Absolutely. So. Well, I want to get into that a little bit more. But there's something you touched on a, a little bit ago that I actually wanted to to bring up. And, you know, hunting with, with pointing dogs versus flushing dogs uh, for, for South Dakota roosters. Um, again, something I just, I hear a lot of, I, I'm talking with my buddies about it here and there, is kind of the, um, yeah, the whole roosters, you need a flushing dog for, for roosters in South Dakota. For any new hunters out there, anyone maybe just getting into it, um, kind of talk about that a little bit more. Is it possible to go up to South Dakota, chase roosters with a pointing dog. For sure. I, in fact, we have we have pointing dogs on our ground all the time because a lot of hunters want to come with their with their dogs and they want to hunt them. You just have to be mindful of of how they hunt. Okay. So, have you done any um, uh, have you done any grouse hunting in the plains at all? I have. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And what kind of dogs do you have, Will? So I so they're two Britneys. So they're 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 pointing okay. dogs. Okay. Yep. And, and, I, so, and I've hunted roosters with them um, as as well. And and so I have personal experience, but more so, you know, anyone out there that's that's kind of hearing these these myths. No. Yeah. I mean, you could definitely do it. You just have to be mindful of it. You know, I think of like a GSP or um, you know Griffons and some of these other breeds. And when they get out to the national grasslands or some of the areas around my farm in South Dakota, 
uh, you know, and I'm, I'm only 20 minutes from the national grassland. So we have a lot of diverse uh, habitat uh, where I am. And, but they let their dogs, you know, these guys will let their dogs go and they're, they're out 150 to 200 yards sure. looking for birds. Right. Um, well, I can tell you that a rooster is not going to always wait for you to come up and, and meet that point. <laughs> they're you know, runners. It's, they're it's runners. not always going to happen, you know? <laughs> so, um, you know, it's, it's just a little different way to hunt, but for sure, for sure you can hunt with, with pointers after pheasants, you know? Sure. Hey, I used to, I, I, I've hunted without dogs. I mean, it's, it's still fun for me. Well, it's not as much, I, I generally don't do it anymore, but sure. for years before I had dogs at all, I, I did a lot of rooster hunting uh, without dogs. Yeah. And that, isn't that how you got your, your sage grouse? You didn't have dogs with you, did you? This no, past year? actually we didn't. Um, you know, I, I knew that, uh, where I was going to be hunting really wasn't uh, it really wasn't made for, for Labradors. It was a mm. very hot environment, uh, for Sage and, um, it just didn't make sense for, for that. So we did, Jane and I did a lot of walking. <laughs> we did a lot of walking. Good for and, you. You know, if you walk enough, you're going to, you're going to trip on some things. You know, you, you recognize what the, what good habitat looks like for the different breeds of bird. And, um, and you go after that habitat and, you know, even a blind, blind squirrel gets an acorn every once in a while. Right. So that's true. Um, did, yeah. uh, <laughs> did you guys, were you up in Montana or Wyoming for this? So we started our, we started our hunt in September last year and we were in, uh, North central, uh, Montana. Um, and we, we hunted for sage there and then we went into the Judith mountains, um, so I got my sage, my sage in North, uh, North central, uh, in the, eh, I would, you, you know, what sage country looks like. Yep. I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty bland, uh, yeah. environment and, um, lot, you know, you have cactus and this and that, you know, you have sure. some rough things. And, and then we went into the Judith mountains with, um, yeah, one of, one of your fellow podcasters, actually, uh, Tyler Webster. Oh yeah. Um, uh, and Tyler and a couple of other guys that, uh, friends of his, and uh -huh. they've become friends of mine now. Uh, and you know, we went after the, the blue grouse and, um, that was really a fun hunt too. I, I, I don't know how much it's like, uh, hunting rough grouse. Have you done any rough grouse hunting? I have, no, I haven't done rough grouse. I've chased uh, blue grouse a little bit here in Colorado. Um, they're, mm -hmm. they're kind of sporadic here up in the mountains, but, uh, don't, no, I've never done uh, rough grouse. Okay. Yeah. So I, I would, I, and I don't know this because I haven't hunted rough grouse, but I'm thinking that blue grouse hunting is, would be similar to rough okay. grouse hunting. Um, but I don't know that for a fact because I haven't hunted rough grouse. So, gotcha. um, you know, you're, you're in the big woods and, um, you're walking with, with plain dogs sure. and, and are the blue, uh, blue, going after it. I, I've, again, I've never been successful with blue grouse here, um, so I'm still trying. But are yeah. they are, are they in the trees or are they more on the ground or both in your, um, in your experience? I would say they're on the – the ones that, that I recall flushing um, were, on the, were on the ground. Okay. Yep. Yep. Okay. Very and, cool. And uh, it's uh, – I'll tell you, a side, a side deal on blue grouse – 
is they are super good to eat. I've heard they this. They're a great eating bird. I've heard they this. They really are. Everyone I talked to said they are <laughs> phenomenal. I uh, I tried, uh, so I got my first sharp tails last year um, up in the uh, uh, Sand Hills, Nebraska. And yeah. that's easily become just my favorite bird, not only to hunt, but to eat. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. Just salt and pepper and oil and, you know, yeah. did it in a pan and, and it was I I still I still remember back yeah. to those those days around the campfire. Oh, that's <laughs> it was, cool. It was delicious. Well, yeah, it's a darker meat. Yeah. Um, and uh, medium rare. You know, and... Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're they're really good. We have uh, we'll have to have you out to the farm. We have not only you know sharp tails uh, on the grounds or and very close to us, but we also have prairie chickens. Oh, really? So, oh, yeah. Oh, so nice. you could get. You could get prairie chickens and and pheasant and sharp tails on our farm. Oh, it's no way. It's kind of cool. No way. Yeah. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, quick mm-hmm. question before we move on, because I definitely want to talk about your farm a little bit and some of the habitat uh, that you've done there. Um, but up in Montana, did you run into any snakes up there in the in the sage or in the plains, or, or did, was that not an issue for you? I, I, I did not see any snakes. That's, I'm sure they were there, but sure. I did not. I did not run across any snakes. Okay, okay, that's good. Nope. I I got my yeah. first my first trip planned up to Montana this September, and uh, I'm just I'm trying to do all my homework, and I don't know snakes snakes make me nervous. I'm I'm just trying to. <laughs> well, I hey man, I would suggest, I do this every year. In fact, my kids just got their shots. Go get a boost. Go get them a rattlesnake booster. Yeah, um, I've heard of this. Yeah, and it's it's pretty easy to do yeah. and and i do it every year because i i do have rattlers on the farm okay now i i don't see them very often but it only takes one time yeah you know and so it's 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 a pretty easy thing to do to get that booster shot yeah uh, it's like it's like a two you know. shot thing right they, they What's that? it's a it's a two shot thing isn't it dog goes in for for two different shots right oh uh, no one? no no my the ones i have they just go in every spring they get oh, their okay. booster and that's it oh nice yeah. very cool so, very cool mm-hmm. awesome well we touched on the farm a little bit greg talk about this this farm you have um when did you have has this been in your family for a long time or is this something you purchased uh recently no, we bought it. We bought it and uh you know once i was able to breathe a little bit with the business we started um, we bought it in 2011, so we've had it just over 10 years now. Um, and I was really fortunate uh, that it's 2,500 acres, and it's continuous. So, you know, you get on one end of it and hunt it to the other. Hmm. Um, and I was fortunate the guy I bought it from was a conservationist in the sense that he liked to build habitat for the for the wildlife but he was not a hunter he just liked to have wildlife around interesting um yeah and so if you know anything about growing trees in south dakota not a ton um, (laughs) those two things don't go together very well in in western south dakota (laughs) so a tree um and it's mostly the colorado junipers type trees you know they're Uh kind of like big hairy bushes but they're they can grow up to like 20 feet um, they just do not grow. I mean, if you get two or three or four inches a year out of a, out of a tree, that's a really big year for really? you. I mean, it, it takes a long, long time. Is that, is that because of the soil or just there? The, why is that? What's that? Is that because of the soil or, or why would that be? It just, why is it's it so a, hard? 
it's mostly because of the soil and we only get 19 inches of rain a year oh okay so yeah i mean it's 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 tough it's it's really hard to you know we we're fortunate the guy that i bought the farm from he already had established shelter belts we probably had uh and i don't i should know this but i probably 10 to 15 different tree lines separate tree lines throughout the whole property okay um and they've they've in the 10 years i've had the place i mean they have really filled out it's it's beautiful habitat not only for birds when you get big blizzards and really rough winters because that's where they'll go they'll go hide under those trees and get out of the the wind and the snow but it's also great for the deer uh we've, we've had great wildlife uh great deer populations um and uh it's it's just it's just good for all sorts of oh, absolutely uh, all, all sorts of different now, breeds. Now that you know, it sounds like he he did a lot of uh, habitat work prior to you, but now since you've been there and you've had this property, um, ha- have you made any habitat improvements or adjustments, or have oh, you just kind of let let yeah, things go? Yeah, on its own. Well, well, we do every year. We 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 put in. Um, we do we do projects every year. So I've probably planted uh alfalfa and tall wheatgrass mixes i probably planted 200 to 400 acres a year for the last four or five or six years um so we're taking we're taking a lot of and this is you know farmers don't do this stuff because farmers want to take every piece of tillable land and use it for crops sure okay i take i still have tillable land that i use for crops but I'm, I'm taking really good ground and making it into habitat. Mm. And so I would say on our farm, I mean, we probably have 80% of it is just all habitat. It's, wow. it's all habitat, you know? Uh, and it's, it's, it's really unique. Um, it's a really unique piece of property uh, versus what is around me because, yeah. you know, people are not, they're, you know, it's a business. They're, they're trying to make as much money as they can on their ground. Oh, sure. And I, and I understand that. I mean, I don't blame them for it. Yeah. But, but, uh, for me, it was more of, you know, how do I create a, a nirvana for, for habitat for upland and big game? So, yeah. Now, um, now did you, every year we're doing that. Yeah. That's awesome. Did you have experience in, in habitat and, and land management like this? Or when you got this property, did you just start asking a bunch of questions and, and learning or did you have prior experience, uh, maybe growing up? No, I had, I had no, no prior experience outside of, you know, I mean, as a, the I basics. also hunt deer, although it's, you know, I hunt deer because I like, to do something different. I'm, I'm, you know, if you boil it down, I'm an upland game guy, but, um, I used to hunt, I used to put together some food plots for deer and that kind of thing. And in Pennsylvania where I lived, where my businesses are. Um, but you know, it's, for me, it was school of hard knocks Mm. and it was also just networking with all the guys out there and asking a ton of questions, work, working with pheasants forever, um, working with uh, the conservation department in, in the county, um, and you know, becoming. I, I'm not saying I'm the expert in it, but I can tell you that um, I know so much now that I didn't know ten years ago. Um, what works, what doesn't work, um, 
and you know, it's it, it's it's actually been really fun for me to learn that. Oh, it, it was a really big learning curve, but it was it was really fun to learn. You know, how do you do this? When do you when do you kill weeds? When do you plant? That's fascinating. Uh, where do you plant? It was just it's really neat, and I continue to learn every day. Yeah, I, I mean, it's like last year we were approached um, by. Uh, you know, I can't remember what organization sponsored this, but, you know, there's been a big push for uh, pollinators mm. in, in uh, to plant pollinators for butterflies and yeah. for insects and that kind of thing. And so we took uh, a 10-acre field that we had and we planted it completely to pollinators. Oh, wow. And so, so, yeah, so that's coming up. You know, it's going to take two years to, to come up well, but uh, this is the first spring of getting that pollinator uh installed wow and you know for 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 young chicks you know oh sure that's that, i mean having the bugs and the, and the insects like that that's gonna be huge yep. for them it's it's massive it's absolutely massive that so really really cool that, that just helps the survivability of for for all these uh birds absolutely um i was going to ask oh uh you mentioned you have prairie chickens now were prairie chickens were they Kind of there and established already when you when you took on this property, or is that something you've seen an increase in over the years? Uh, I would say both of those statements are correct. Okay, um, we we had them um, as we've developed more habitat. You know, we've got more of them. I'll give you an example. I was uh, I was there all winter, um, and I think in January or February. I just said, oh, I'm going to go cruise around the farm. I pretty much cruise the farm almost every day when I'm in town just to blow some steam after <laughs> a hard day's work. Sure. And, and I, I went down this road and I must have flushed about five different coveys of sharp tail and, uh, uh, sharp tail on prairie chickens. Oh my gosh. Um, and they were, uh, they mu- probably multi, they were multiple coveys cause it was like, 20 to 30 birds per wow. flush no way yeah five different places jeez i mean that, it that's was pretty healthy i would say incredible that is a healthy population that's for sure yeah they're, oh. they're de- and and they're they're cyclical um sure you know i think we're on the upswing right now i i've seen more uh chickens and and sharpies over the last year than i've ever seen on that farm and and I expect with the winter that we had there this year, which was very mild, and the spring was very mild, we didn't have big floods or big, big blizzards or anything. I think it's going to be an absolute explosion of sharp tails and chickens this wow. year. It's going to be ridiculous. That's, that's exciting. The uh, the Fort Pier mm-hmm. is uh, is on my uh, is on my list for uh, this maybe September or October. Try to get up there as well. So we'll, well see. Well, let me know, man, because I. I, I I have some I can guide you on some really good spots on the national grasslands oh, nice. too if you want to get out there. And very walk. cool. So, very cool. Are yeah. you uh, appreciate that? Are you are you hunting a lot of uh, public land as well, or are you pretty much sticking to either your farm or, or some connections you have up there? You know what? I still I still enjoy hunting public land too, um, and I do it early because I don't want to. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to run into a lot of people. So, you know, it just, there's some, there's some public ground close to my farm. And, you know, I mean, if you hunt the same spot every, every time you go hunting uh, over a 10 year period, 
No, you just you just want something else. You just want yeah, to hunt you, something you want, else. Once you want a new in a while, challenge, right? yeah. You want some new scenery and some new new ground mm-hmm. to run on. Mm-hmm. Well, that's awesome. What uh, yeah. what what plans do you have for this this year that you want to hit? I know you talked a little bit about you know getting into some more uh, some more upland birds. Do you have any uh, plans uh, you're looking forward to this fall? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, well, this year, um, this year I, I I had signed up for an elk hunt in northern New Mexico. Oh, nice. Uh, in September, so we're, I'm gonna or it's actually the first week of October, so I'll do that. Um, I plan on doing some some grouse hunting also of course that opens in September um, I'm gonna try and get some uh, rough grouse in uh, you know probably in this Duluth Minnesota area okay. so Minnesota, Minnesota Wisconsin I'm gonna do that because you're, you're uh, not that far from Minnesota right uh, I am a 10 hour oh, okay. an eight to nine hour drive from Duluth okay. from so my that's, farm. That's a good, so, little, good little drive. Yeah, it's you could do that in a day, yeah, right? So sure. it's 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 okay. Um, I have an antelope hunt planned in Wyoming. Oh, very uh, nice. Going to do that, um, and uh, I'd like to actually get back out into uh, somewhere in Wyoming and Montana and do. I, I'll tell you, man. Have you ever hunted uh, Huns? No, I have not hunted Huns yet. I am in love with hun hunting, man. Really? It was, oh, golly. We hunted huns in uh, uh, Wyoming near uh-huh. the big, uh, at the in the foothills of the Bighorn. Okay. And um, that was so much fun. I can't even tell you. Really? That was, yeah, because they scare the living tar out of you. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, they just, it's. And when they get up, they get up as a covey. It's not singles. Sure. And, and, and huns are a little bit are, bigger. They're, they're a little bit. Fun. They're a little bit like chucker size, aren't they? Or bigger than they quail? Are. Yeah. Exactly right. Okay. Yeah. Exactly right. Well, yeah. That's cool. No, so, I, in the in Montana this year, I'm I'm hoping to get into. Uh, uh, I mean, my ultimate goal would be sage sharpies and huns, um, mm-hmm. and and but we'll see. We'll see what uh, what we come up with. We'll do a lot of networking yeah and and get some pins from people sure like hey we tried this public land and this it was pretty good here and you can get some pins and that's a great place to start so you're not just wandering around you know exactly trying to learn at least trying to learn everything at least gets you in the right somewhat direction i know uh when i went out uh chasing sharpies in nebraska last year um you know tyler webster he he, he has had a ton of knowledge on sharpies and, and really what to look for and yep. I think I've told the story probably on, on an episode prior, but um, I was walking the sand hills and walking this public land area, and I wasn't seeing these berries. Um, I, I think they're choke cherries or, or some kind of berry that they're called. And I just right. remember Tyler saying, "Once you find those berries, you'll find the sharp tail." And so I'm walking and walking for the first first day, first half of the morning, I, I didn't see anything, and yeah. all of a sudden I find a patch of these berries, and I'm like, right. "I found them." I'm done with my phone taking a picture of these berries, and then my, my dog goes on point about 20 yards from me. And I get up, drop my phone, and there was there was the first uh, first flush, sure enough, of the, uh, cool. of the Sharpie. So yeah. it's really yeah. good. Just getting advice from people and, and learning some of their knowledge is very helpful. Well, he's he, he's a good guy to listen to because he, he bleeds hunting, right? Yeah, oh, he's, yeah. he's out. I don't know how many days a year he's oh. out hunting. So he's <laughs> kind of uh, kind of makes makes a, me sick. <laughs> he's yeah, uh, he's got a yeah. pretty cool job that he's uh, he's I, out there about hundred plus days a year. I have a question for you. Being in Colorado, 
and and Jane and I kind of looking in Colorado. Where does a guy, where does a guy hunt upland game in Colorado, and what what do you go and what is available? Like what kind of what kind of uh, birds are there? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, so there's a couple pockets. I like to say it's it's not as I think widespread as say uh, uh, North Dakota or Kansas. So scaled, and we have, uh, don't quote me on this, but I think it's nine or 10 species of upland game birds, actually. So we have, okay. we have the variety here. Mm-hmm. So very upper northwest corner, there is some sage grouse. Um, okay. Now go the opposite way, far uh, northeast corner. That's where you'll find some of your bobwhites and pheasant. And okay. then go all the way down to the uh, southeast corner. And you'll get into some pheasants, but also scaled quail. Um, so okay. I know some guys that have done actually pretty well on the uh, the southeast scaled quail. Okay. And then go to the mountains. Then then you get into the blue grouse and oh prairie chickens. So up in the uh, so northeast corner, you'll get into some prairie chickens. It uh, okay. It's only available by certain unit hunt units. Um, okay. So it, it's. And they list them on the CPW website, uh, Parks and Wildlife. But it's only like four or five units you can actually hunt uh, prairie chickens in. Um, so those are some of the some big ones I know. I'm, I'm sure I'm missing a couple, but so there there are yeah. options, which is is pretty cool. Yeah, no, that's that's good to know because you know if I, if I do end up out that way, I'm definitely going to want to explore you know those opportunities. Um, and is there? Can you find them on public land, or do you have to go private out there? So I have exclusively uh, only hunted public land here in Colorado, um, okay. and I've, I've I would say I've done decent on you know uh, pheasants and, and bobwhites. Um, haven't been successful with anything else yet, but I, I know they're there, and I do know some guys who are who are successful out there on public land. Um, okay. and, and to be honest, I mean, there's not a Again, you can't compare, let's say, a Kansas or a, or a South Dakota to Colorado with public land, um, mm-hmm. as far as like the the walk-in access areas. Um, so on the eastern side, so east of I twenty five. Okay. Now, if you go if you go west of twenty five, you're getting into the national forests, the BLM land, and so there is a lot of it out west. Um, but okay. on the east side, it's just it's just a little bit more slim. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. But yeah, All right. Yeah. Well, that's that's interesting to know. Yeah. They're, they're you know, I was surprised even, you know, when I was in Wyoming this year, I did not really think about, um, you know, that being good pheasant country. Sure. Um, and son of a gun. I mean, I'm I'm out in the middle of nowhere, and when you get to some of these farms that are out there, I'm starting. I see pheasants. No and way. I just, I, I couldn't believe it. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was, yeah. That's, so, that's, that's encouraging. <laughs> Cause I'm, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not that far from Wyoming either. And, uh, so Colorado's, our sage grouse season is, I think it's only like six or seven days long. Um, right. again, it's, it's restricted to a couple units up in that upper uh, Northwest corner. And, uh, yeah. so I'd like to try to get up there and, uh, you know, just, just see if I can find a sage grouse, but then my curiosity as well, I'm so close to the Wyoming border. I might as well, <laughs> might as well just hop up there. So right. We'll, uh, we'll see how it shakes out. A lot of these, a lot of these hunting plans have to be uh, approved by the wife still. So, 
that's a whole oh, nother, yeah. a whole nother yeah, uh, discussion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's another factor, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what you got to do is you got to get her to go hunting with you. I know. Have her get into it. <laughs> that that probably would be my ultimate goal, but I don't uh, I don't know. She's uh, she's pretty gracious. We got five kiddos, and so she's pretty gracious with uh, letting me get out as much as I do. So. Okay. Yeah. Well, eventually you'll say, Hey, I've got to take the kids. Well, exactly. You know, of this course. is a father, you know, yep. son or father daughter event. <laughs> exactly. You know. It's, it's been, it's been really fun. I haven't, uh, haven't got my kids out actually hunting just yet, but, uh, a really cool introduction is, uh, introducing them with like just dog training and, and working with the dogs. And, um, they've been just fascinated with that, uh, aspect of things. So I think it's going to be a good segue for them, uh, into the, the hunting experience. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. That is, that is great. Yeah. yeah. It's been super fun. So. Um, Greg, what's, uh, guys, as we kind of wrap up here, what's, uh, what's one, I guess, piece of advice or, or something you would, you would tell, um, let's say there's a new hunter out there, someone maybe who, who just picked up their first bird dog and is looking to get into upland hunting this coming fall. What would you say to them? Um, I think Nike put it best, uh, just do it. <laughs> I, I mean, on, honestly, I mean, you can get all the advice that you possibly can get from anybody, but until you get your dog out there and start, you know, putting in the miles, um, you learn more, your dog learns more by putting in miles and you learn more about putting in miles, uh, than, than anything. Mm -hmm. So I would tell people, you know, do some research as to where, where the birds are. Um, if you can find a friend that, that, has hunted before that you could have them mentor you on your first couple of uh, hunts. That's, that's great. You know, that's, that would be the best scenario. Sure. Um, and, and just make time to go do it and think of it like this. It's not about, it's not about how many birds you shoot. Um, it's, it's about the whole experience of it. It's just, you know, whether you're a camper or you stay in a hotel or whatever, it's, it's just all of it is fun. The talking about it, um, going the actual trip, you know, the journey is, the, to me, the journey and the campfire discussions are a big part of the whole process, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it it doesn't matter um, what equipment you have, uh, unless you have a bad kennel, then you want a really good kennel. <laughs> yes, that's dog. true. You but, need a good kennel. <laughs> I think I know where to grab one of those. <laughs> but I mean, you, you, you know, I can tell you that I still have, you know, uh, a, a lot of my upland game gear is stuff I've had for 20 years. Right. So sure. it, it's, it's not about what clothes you're wearing. Although, yeah, there's clothes out there that would yeah. be nicer to have than make, others, but, yeah. um, it's, it's about getting out and doing it. Mm, so, really uh, well just, said. you know, get, get your dog out and, you know, obviously you want to train your dog, uh, and make sure they've got the basic commands down. But, uh, you, you know, they, they learn, uh, the dogs learn by doing it. And if you can get your young dog out to a preserve mm. prior to, so it gets introduced to bird scent and what it smells like and what, what its job is. So, you know, when you get out and you're doing the actual hardcore hunting, um, it's not a complete surprise to your dog. 
Right. Yeah, so that's really good. I, I just, yeah. just a quick question. Um, did you train your dogs yourself or did you use uh, a pro trainer or what did you do with, with getting your dogs trained? So, so I, I did both. Um, uh, but for me being a really super busy guy, uh, I, you know, when they were born, you know, I would send them off after six weeks to somebody for the initial training. Sure. And, and so it would be like a, a, a six week foundation deal and they would get their initial training done by a professional. Um, and then I would take it from there. Okay. Nice. Um, but since, and that, that worked really well for me because by the time they came back from the initial training like that, a lot of the obedience stuff was done. And now it's just a matter of reinforcing what they already knew. Yeah. Um, and what's really nice about what I have out at the farm and not, you know, I get it. Not everybody has this, but I mean, I go out in September, early season and I just walk with my dogs every day Mm. and let them have fun chasing birds. And we're, we're, I'm not shooting anything. Sure. But still an experience for them. I'm just letting them chase. My, my, my kids will flush, you know, a thousand to fifteen hundred birds before the season starts. Oh wow! <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's I, awesome. I mean it's and that's, it's, and that's it doesn't get yeah. much better on than that wild birds. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say <laughs> I mean, on wild birds and to, to let your dogs be able to have that exposure and, and those experiences. That's not a lot can replace that. No, no, no. Absolutely. And they they learn pretty quick that it's fun and what you expect them to do, and uh, you know. And I think I think the other thing with with young dogs is is let them make mistakes, let them get excited about about hunting, and then and then hone in the skills. Mm. Uh, you know, like you don't want to be shocking your dog the first you know the first day he's out there because he's doing something wrong. Right, right. <laughs> I, I he's going he's gonna be real you, quick. You, you, yeah, he's gonna be like, this yeah, is not fun. <laughs> yeah, that you want to make it fun for him. So, and I would say that even you've got the the young kids yeah um get them out where you know they're going to have good experience with with birds and if that's a preserve because you know they're going to see birds sure that might be a great place to go for the first the first time absolutely um because they're going to see birds and they're going to see you know it'll be exciting it'll be a good controlled experience exactly Uh, yep that's so true so all right greg well last thing i like to uh end on with each guest that i've had on so far is a kind of a rapid fire question um so about three or four questions here Uh, i'm just going to kind of ask you something and then just kind of give me your off the cuff uh answer sound good Yep. All right. Great. So we'll start with, uh, if not a lab, what's your second favorite dog breed? Oh boy. See, that's rapid fire. I don't know. <laughs> the rapid fire thing is hard. Um, and you, you can explain well, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm intrigued by, by some of the versa, versatile dogs that I've, that I've been around. So I mentioned that earlier. So, you know, GSPs are really an interesting mm. breed to me. Yeah. Um, and, but I, you know, I, as far as it just depends on what you want. Like I want a dog that's not only going to hunt, but that can hang out and be a yeah. pretty, uh, a pretty calm dog, you know, when they're not hunting. Sure. 
And so I really like these these uh, English pointers. Oh yeah, I, I mean they are beautiful dogs, yeah, and they're just beautiful. nice dogs to be around too. And they hunt like all get out. Oh, so, I think I think they're probably know, the some I people would say the, the king of dogs. So yeah, I, I mean, to me, that would be maybe the next step for me yeah. is to go that way. Very cool. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, now you've touched on you've you've gotten kind of a taste of more bird species. You've been hunting. Your interest has been peaked. But as of today, what would be your favorite bird species to hunt? Uh, well, you know, I, I, I'll never get pheasants out of my blood, so I will <laughs> say that. Um, I, I will also tell you that the, that hunt hunting was right there with it. It wow. was that was really fun hunting. Okay. So that that Hungarian partridge deal was really really fun so i would say that's one and two for me okay that's cool to hear uh what what gun are you carrying out into the uplands with you uh you know only because i i'm an automatic (laughs) (laughs) hey no shame no shame i like (laughs) semi-automatics you know i have a and and listen i know that's you know People look down their nose at people who have 12 gauge semi automatics. No, but, no, not at all. Uh, I mean, it just, it, it, the thing is, uh, on my farm, you know, there's, there's, there's times when you have, if you're posting um, and people are walking, say, a tree line, you could have 50 to 100 birds fly over your head. Good Lord. At, at the same time, you know, oh so having two shots at that. It was, you know, sure. I like having more than two yeah. shots. Hey, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> so oh. anyway, so that's that. Now, that said, Will, um, I have some very good friends who are mentoring me into over and unders and side-by-sides. Okay. And, and I do have those guns. I just don't hunt with them that much. Sure. And I'm going to make a concerned effort to, to hunt more with a more traditional gun like that nice uh this year so okay. are you, um, you looking at maybe an over under or a side by side or what are you kind of thinking i well i i don't know i i, I want to try both open. and see which one feels best do you do you have those kinds of guns i uh yeah so i sh- i hunt with a 20 gauge uh frankie over under um mm-hmm. and it's kind of funny i'm, I'm kind of opposite of you I, so i have the i have this uh, semi-auto 12 gauge and yep. i just don't shoot it well I don't know what it is. I, I can't hit anything with it. And mm-hmm. so my, my confidence is level is just a lot higher with the, uh, with the 20 gauge, uh, over under. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's such a personal preference. It's, it's such a confidence thing and where everyone feels comfortable with and all that. But. I find that, I find that absolutely fascinating because like it, the opposite is for me, like my 12 gauge, uh, I use a improved cylinder on it and I, it's, Man, I've knocked down so many birds with it. Sure. And then I and then I get into the smaller guns, a sixteen or a twenty, uh-huh. and I'm just it doesn't have the knockdown power. Or let's face it, man, maybe I'm just not that great of a shot. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what that's the case for me. I just think I'm I don't know what it is, but I I can just hit a lot more with that twenty. <laughs> yeah. No. That's I mean, so and funny. I do think that there's guns uh, that you have a lot of confidence in because you had great success with sure and and those are the guns that you want to continue to use right absolutely absolutely. i'd really like to find as i said an over under or side by side that 
um, I feel really confident with. Yeah. And, and so that's kind of my search for this year is to, that's awesome. Is to find a gun well, like that. If you said, yeah. I think you mentioned earlier, you're, uh, you're having coffee with, uh, Nick Larson. So I'm, I'm sure he's going to try to talk you into a side by side. Oh, is he's, he okay? I know he a, was, yeah. I mean, he I likes, he, he likes all, guy. no, he no, a he, side by side guy. I think primarily side by side. If, if memory serves me correct. Um, he's, he's just a gun guy in general. He, he really gets into the, just the older guns and in the traditional, uh, you know, traditional English grip versus pistol grip. He's right. a he's a wealth of knowledge. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> we had Nick out to the farm this year, um, and uh, he had a really fun, really fun hunt. Nice. Uh, we 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 all had a really fun hunt, and uh, uh, he did real well with his gun. He's a good shot. That's, yeah, for that's sure. awesome. Oh, I so. bet. I bet. Um, yeah. All right, just two more here, Greg. Um, would you prefer a, a group hunt with some friends or a solo hunt with just you and your dogs? Wow, that's yes. <laughs> <laughs> First person to answer it like that. <laughs> yes, yes to both. Okay. Um, man, I got to tell you, like, I love having friends. Now, I'm not really super into the big group hunts. Like, if you, I like three to five guys sure. uh when i do go with a group um other than that it doesn't that's kind of how i grew up is hunting sure. in those smaller groups what i consider a small group um and but man i have so much fun going out with my two guys and just it's just them and me and so i it just i like them both yeah. equally that's, they're both really, really fun. That's yeah. well said. And and it, and it goes back to your other question about a new hunter. Um, you, you know, don't be afraid to go f- take a walk with your dogs by yourself. I mean, it that is a unique experience. And if you can come back with A, seeing birds, B, getting shots, and C, harvesting something, I mean, that's a memory you're not going to forget. Mm. I mean, that that is fun. That is really fun because you know you, hey, you don't have to argue about who shot the bird. Right? <laughs> exactly, that's the problem with when you're out with buddies. Oh, it's like, all right, uh, who who? Got, I think I got that one. I think. I, yep, exactly. There's no, there's no question. There's no question. I'm pretty sure yeah. there there was a, a bird. Uh, it was the last walk of a hunt we were doing in Nebraska this past season. Last walk of the day, rooster flushes. I'm pretty sure I got it, but I'm also pretty sure my buddy shot it, who's a way better shot than me. <laughs> but okay. he was nice enough to say, oh, that was all you. You did it. Good job. Yeah. Yeah. No. So. Yeah. Exactly. Well, that's the other advantage to maybe bringing a young hunter with you or, you know, or somebody who's just starting out and a bird goes down. Well, they always got it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was them. hundred <laughs> yeah. percent. All right, Greg, last, last question here. Kind of a fun one. Uh, after a hunt, what is, uh, what's your beverage of choice? Um, well, uh, it depends on how hot it is that day. Okay. Um, uh, if it's super hot and you put a big sweat on, um, then I would tell you that I'm going for a light beer, probably a, probably a Miller light or you know something in that uh genre there you go and then and then uh if it's if it's a colder day um i'll start with uh with scotch uh and uh on the rocks with uh with a splash of water uh but i generally always end with red wine so you know i kind of segue from you know i it's kind of a 
uh, a segue from from the lighter stuff, and then I I, I finished the night out with red sure. wine. So, yeah. <laughs> that's that's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. Well, Greg, thank you <laughs> so very much. I, I've really uh, really enjoyed getting to know you a little bit more and uh, talking about your farm and dogs and and everything in between. So I appreciate your time. Hey, anytime, and uh, you know, let's get some hunting in this year if you if you can get out to south dakota at some point that'd be fun uh just reach out to me we'll figure it out absolutely um, and uh man I, I i wish you well i'm glad you're doing this podcast and thank you you know it's always it's always fun to talk to guys like you because we're 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 kind of the the same made out of the same blood you know? oh yeah i mean and these these conversations every every podcast fun. i've been doing so far the conversations easily could go two plus hours and it's just it's fun talking with like-minded people so I agree. For sure. I agree. Well, Greg, yeah. enjoy uh, the rest of your camping trip. Thanks again for your time, and uh, we'll, we'll definitely be in touch here soon, okay? Awesome. Yeah, thanks again. Thanks, Greg. Take care. Hi, that is a wrap of Episode 9. Greg, thank you so much. I really enjoyed that conversation, hearing all about South Dakota, pheasants, prairie chickens, your land, and how you manage it. Uh, really enjoyed that time. My hope is to get up to South Dakota at some point. That might be this season, that might be the season after. I'm not sure. I have to see how plans unfold, but really would look forward to getting up there uh, hunting with Greg or just in South Dakota in general. Um, so really excited. Guys, listen up. Uh, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying this podcast, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget about the Dakota 283 giveaway. Um, over 200 people are entered currently at the base level. A couple people have done bonus entries up to this point. So uh, remember, work on writing a story, sending it in to me, posting a video, just sharing how and why you got started upland hunting. Um, also, if you screenshot your Apple uh, podcast review, again, a written review with stars and a personal message, um, screenshot that to me, you'll be entered uh, as well for some bonus entries. So uh, if you have any questions, please uh, feel free to message me. Happy to answer any of those. But again, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. Share it with your friends, your coworkers, your family, whoever you think would enjoy this podcast. Well, until next week, everyone, if you're not fortunate enough to hunt with or own a Brittany, any bird dog is better than no bird dog. Get out there and put some miles on your boots. Thanks so much. Take care.